0: Well, this evening will be in Song of Solomon, chapter 8. And we're getting pretty close to the end of the book of Song of Solomon. Went through most of it, and here in chapter 8, in the last chapter, right before a little bit of advice there at the end, we see this expression by the Shulamite. She wants to show her affection. She wishes that it wasn't something that was frowned upon in her culture for her to express her affection because love is such a powerful thing. So we'll start reading there in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 1, where it says, Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breasts of my mother. When I should find thee without, I would kiss thee, yea, I should not be despised. I would lead thee and bring thee into my mother's house, who would instruct me. I would cause thee to drink of spiced wine, of the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up, nor awake my love until he please. Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Before we go any further, I ask that you join me in prayer. God, we thank you. We Thank you that you've done so much for us. We thank you here that you show us yet again Your pattern for love. You show us how this relationship between a husband and a wife that paints the picture of Christ in church ought to be. It ought to be a relationship of affection. And an appropriate one. We pray this evening that you give me the words that need to be spoken. Help us to take this message. Apply it in our lives, that this would be your words and not my own. We pray that we would be with our church, that you would guide us in the direction you would have us to go. And we pray especially for those around us who are lost, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Help us to be people that share the gospel with them before it's too late. We pray that during this week you would help us to be thankful, but not just this week, throughout our lives that we would be thankful people we pray for the many on our prayer list that you meet those needs in accordance with your will and help us to understand your will as you do so and we pray that when we leave here today you'd help us to take all that we see throughout your word and to apply it in our lives that we would live in a way that would bring honor and glory to you we ask all these things in jesus name because we love him amen Amen. In our day and time, don't a lot of people say that love is dead? You hear it all the time. You look at the way people are nowadays. You see that we live in a day and time when marriages fail perhaps as often as they succeed or more. We live in a day and time when instead of people staying together, they go their separate ways. We even live in a day in time where it seems like everybody gets everything out of order, don't we? But love ought to be there. You see movies about it. You see that people want it. People say that it's a good thing. Look at the model we see here in Song of Solomon. We've seen so far as we've looked through the book of Song of Solomon, these two, if they'd have stuck with what they had here in Song of Solomon, they'd have been in good shape. Now it's likely since, like I've talked about, we're talking about Solomon here. This man who had a multitude of wives and a multitude of concubines, if he'd have stuck with what he wrote here, he'd have been in good shape. And we look here in this chapter. We see his bride desiring to show her affection. Talking about just how wonderful love is, how powerful love is. And that's where she's at at this point. Is You know, she wishes she could just show her love to him all the time. We see three things in our passage this evening. The first of which is that the bride desires to show her love. Look at what we see in verse 1. She says, Oh, that thou wert as my brother that sucked the breasts of my mother. She's wishing that he was put in the same category as her brother. Now the reason for this is cultural. In the Israelite culture of that day and time, public displays of affection were frowned upon. It wasn't acceptable for a bride to go up to her husband to kiss him in public, to show him any affection in public. That was not permitted. The only displays of affection that were permitted or with immediate blood relatives, like brothers and sisters. And so she's saying she wishes he was like her brother, that she could show him the affection that she wants to show. She says, you know, if, if you were like that, then I, when I found you outside, I'd kiss you, and nobody'd frown upon that. She says, I'd lead you and bring you into my mother's house. She said, you know, I could bring you home, and nobody'd frown. On that, she says, "I could show you affection. I would cause," she says, "to drink of spiced wine of the juice of my pomegranate." She says, "I want to show you affection." She's wanting to show her affection to her groom.
1: Says his left
0: hand should be under my head, and his right hand should embrace me. We see she's wishing at this point that all of these societal. Norms didn't prohibit her from showing her affection, isn't she? She's wishing that she could just show her affection to him and nobody would frown upon this. Nobody would say, don't do that. Nobody would say, don't show your affection. Because in that day and time, this would have been frowned upon. She couldn't just walk up and give him a kiss. She couldn't just walk up and give him a hug. And she's saying, I wish I could do that. She wants to express her affections. She wants to show her love publicly. That's what her desire is here. Now, in our day and time, of course, societal norms are a little different. But a lot depends on where you're at, doesn't it? Of course, I went to a Christian college up at Jacksonville College. And they had pretty strict rules about what they called PDA. They abbreviated public displays of affection as PDA. And basically, if you were holding hands there in the college campus, you got in trouble they didn't want folks holding hands they didn't want boys and girls hugging matter of fact they had it so strict that (coughs) there was a concrete sidewalk about 20 feet back from the boys dorm that if you were a girl you weren't allowed to cross that concrete sidewalk without getting in trouble with the security guard why because that wasn't acceptable and certainly i think the president of the college was wise to make such rules. A bunch of 18-year-old kids there on the college campus, those were probably pretty good rules. But you can see <coughs> how even though there were rules like that in the days of Solomon and the Shulamite, they wanted to express their love for one another, didn't they? They wanted to show affection. And that's where she's at. She wants to show affection. And if we're honest, we recognize that regardless of the rules of society, the people in love, they want to show affection to one another, don't they? I guarantee you, I enjoy holding my wife's hand. It's a nice thing. I enjoy showing my wife affection. It's a nice thing. And that's where she's at here. She's saying, I wish I could show my affection without being in trouble. She's wanting to show affection. And that's a good thing. Having that desire. Because like we've looked at so much here in the book of Song of Solomon we see that the relationship between a husband and a wife reflects Christ in the church. Ought in the church to want to show Christ's affection? Shouldn't we want to show our affection to Christ regardless of whether people tell us we can't? We're getting to a day in time where I think we'll end up, before too long, being told we can't show our affection to Christ, won't we? But you know we ought to desire that. And that desire for a husband and a wife to show each other affection reflects that. Like I've said throughout the book of Song of Solomon, we see that God is pretty good and that he gives us a picture that we can wrap our heads around, we can see the way it works. We understand it because it's something we can comprehend that paints this picture. We see, first of all, this evening that we can seek to express our affection. You know, we ought to want to be people who show our affection for Christ often. That's a good thing. And that's why it's good for husbands and wives to want to show each other affection because it reflects Christ and the church. It paints that picture. It shows us the way it ought to be. We see that that model of affection is a good thing. But we see, even though that affection is good, Has to be at the right place at the right time, don't we? Affection is a good thing, but it has to be appropriate. Because notice what she says there in verse 4 after she's saying how much she wishes to show her affection, she reminds of the requirements of love, doesn't she? She says in verse 4 I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that ye stir not up nor awake my love until he please. Now we've seen that refrain two or three times in the book of Song of Solomon. Here the Shulamite is telling these daughters of Jerusalem, says, You know, don't stir up love, don't awaken it till the right time is the idea behind this phrase. She's telling them, don't get in a hurry. And that's the idea behind this in the original language, is it's saying, you know, don't get in a hurry. Don't get to love until it's time. There's a time and a place for the love between a husband and a wife, isn't there? And that's what she's saying. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you stir not up, nor awake my love until he please. Tell him, don't get in a hurry about it. (coughs) Now things are good when they're on time, aren't they? We like for things to be on time. Especially in our American culture, we like for things to be when they're supposed to be. When you order something online, you get on the computer and you order something, it tells you it's going to be there such and such day. You don't want to show up two weeks later, do you? When somebody says, I'm going to be there at 5 o'clock, you don't want them to be there at 7 o'clock, do you? Especially in our culture, we like for things to be on time. Now, some other cultures aren't the same way. I know I remember one of my professors in college who had spent much time in a Latin country and said over there, when they say, you know, I'll be there at five, they might be there at seven or eight. And that's just their culture. And he said it's one of the hardest things for people to adjust if they're used to that mindset. Because we expect things to be on time. We expect things to happen when they're supposed to happen and that is the way that it ought to be with love it ought to be something that happens when it's supposed to too many times I think in our culture that even though we see that that love between a man and a woman paints this picture of Christ in the church? You know how that gets messed up? You know what gets this all out of order? Is the fact that our culture doesn't do things in the right time, do they? We live in a day and time when you see folks, instead of Falling in love, getting married, and having kids. They just put it in whatever order they want to. We see folks are in such a hurry. They just marry the first person they meet. Don't think about what they're doing. Don't take any consideration. (coughs) We see people who don't listen to the advice of their elders. And jump right off into something that's not a good relationship. And it crumbles. And we see all these things. Is what the Shulamite's pointing out here. She says, you know, don't stir up love. Don't awaken love until the right time. tell he please If we want to see the model that Christ set up, We want to see what the love between Christ and the church is supposed to look like. We've got to do things in the right order, don't we? We've got to do things the right way. (coughs) Otherwise, we end up with a model that's messed up. We end up with a model that doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like. I tell you, I've always liked building model cars. But if you put the pieces on the wrong order, it doesn't look just right. You got to put them all on in the order that that big old piece of paper's got a hundred numbers on it tells you to glue them all in there. And if you get down there to step fifty and realize you missed step two, that thing will look pretty strange. And it's hard to go back and fix that once you've glued it. That's what this is telling us here. We've got to do things in the right order. We want to see the model that God set up between Christ and the church. We've got to do things right. I know I've said it throughout the book of Song of Solomon, but I'll say it again. I think that's a lot of the problem that churches have today. Is that we've got the model wrong. We put it together in the wrong order. And we're okay with that as a culture. Our culture has become more and more accepting of that. And that is why we don't understand what the relationship between Christ and the church ought to look like. Because we've got everything out of order. We see this evening we can seek to follow the biblical model of love. If we want to understand what love between Christ and the church looks like, We want to understand what it's talking about over there in Ephesians 5. We've got to get the details right, don't we? We've got to do things in the right time, the right order. That's what the Shulamite's telling us over here in Song of Solomon and tells us multiple times. You know, most of the time when somebody repeats something, that's because it's pretty important, isn't it? And you notice how the Shulamite repeats that to the daughters of Jerusalem over and over and over again throughout the book. And repeats it this last time here in chapter 8 and verse 4. We've got to do things the right way. But we notice one last thing the Shulamite tells us about love. She's told us how she wants to show her love to her groom. How love ought to be on the right time frame, following the requirements that it's supposed to follow. And here, in these last few verses that we're going to look at, we see how the bride points out the power of love. It starts off in verse 5 it says, Who is this that cometh up from the wilderness leaning upon her beloved? And see her coming up kind of leaned over on him and she says, I raised thee up under the apple tree. There thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Here we see, you might say, an innocent love between these two. You know, they're saying, you know, who is this that's coming up? It's leaning on her beloved. And she's talking about how, so she raised him up under the apple tree. The same apple tree that's right there in front of his house is where your mother brought you forth. Basically, the same apple tree that was right outside his front door was where they fell in love is what she's trying to say here. This is where their affection started. It's right out there in the front yard of his house, his parents' house. Right out there under the apple tree. And they're just kind of walking up with her leaning over on him. And what does she say? She says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. She says she wants to be a seal for him. To mark who he it is. It says, for love is strong as death. Now that's pretty powerful. It says love is strong as death. It says jealousy is cruel as the grave. It says there, this is something you can't undo. It says the coals thereof are coals of fire which hath the most vehement flame. It's powerful. It's mighty. It's something that can't be stopped. And after this analogy of fire it says many waters cannot quench love Neither can the floods drown. It's like a fire that you can't put out. He even says, As a man, if a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. But you can't afford it. You can't buy it. He couldn't give everything he has to get it. It's not a commodity to be bought and sold. It's something so powerful that it can't be stopped. And that's what love is described as by the shoehorn. She describes it as something that powerful. Something unstoppable. Something that motivates people. Something that is a driving force. And look, it's driving their relationship because you see her leaning over on them as they're walking up and kind of reminiscing about how they first met. And that's what we see here, how powerful love is. Now, even though our culture, I think, doesn't understand love, like i said they get so many details of it wrong. You watch any movie that's got any sort of romantic story to it, and they they show how powerful love is. Now, I've never been much of one for what you call romantic movies that's just not my type of movie. I like movies that have more action to them. But when you watch those movies that have any sort of romantic thing to them, you see the power of love, how much it motivates people to do things, don't you? One that I always found kind of amusing because it had enough stuff to interest me was I always liked as a kid watching Crocodile Dundee. It's one of my favorite movies as a kid. And in that you see how Mick Dundee, he gets in love. And it motivates him to end up in a place where he never fit in at all. It motivates him to do some pretty crazy things. Love motivates us, doesn't it? I tell you, there's a lot more I would do for Rebecca than I would for just about anybody else in the world. Why? Because I love her. And I tell you, I think Rebecca gets more upset if somebody does something to me than she would if somebody did something to her. Why? Because she loves me. (coughs) And that's what the Shulamite's getting at here is how much love motivates. Starts off as something just completely innocent and builds into something that motivates that much. You know, I can remember being a a young 18-year-old college kid playing pranks on Rebecca. I won't tell the whole story of that the first time I saw her because she'd probably have my hide for telling it, but I can remember playing a prank on her the first time I ever saw her, along with a couple other guys that were with me who'd kind of put me up to it. And from that point, Now I'd do anything in the world for her. What do we see here in Song of Solomon? Five through seven. They're reminiscing about, you know, how they they fell in love out there under this apple tree and now they've got a love that can't be stopped. You want to see a good model of Christ in the church? How's our love developed for Christ? Starts off, you know, we don't know him. But he loved us. It tells us that we love him because he first loved us, doesn't it? And that develops into something that ought to motivate us to the point that we're willing to give up everything. For the cause of Christ. You look at Paul. The same man who wrote Ephesians. Who compared Christ in the church. To husbands and wives. He said you know I count everything as lost. For the cause of Christ. Did he love Christ? Absolutely. We see that that love between. A husband and a wife that power that's there shows us the power that's in that relationship between Christ and the church we see this evening we can see the power of love God gave us a good model didn't he he gave us a good example we see the power of love in the relationship between a husband and a wife and that helps us understand the power of Of the love between Christ and the church. And as we've seen throughout the book of Song of Solomon. We see this is the model. This is the way it ought to be. Now certainly we mess it up. Both as Christians. As part of the church. And we mess it up I'm sure. At least I know I do. As a husband. And loving my wife some days. I mess up on it. But we have the model. The model. We understand what it's supposed to look like. And if we've got the model right, we'll understand what it's supposed to be about. A whole lot better. We can see the power of love. We see this evening how as the book of Song of Solomon starts to draw to a close, there's still a little bit left, how the Shulamite here Desires to show her love. She wishes she could show affection. She reminds the daughters of Jerusalem the way love ought to be, the requirements of it, that they need to follow the right timeline for it. And she points out the power of love. She says, you know, this is something so powerful that it's like a fire you can't put out. That's what it is. What we can take away from this is that we can be people who rightly follow God's model of love. We see that God has given us a good model, hasn't he? If we get that right, then we understand how Christ loves the church and how the church ought to love Christ. If we get that part right, if we get the model right, we'll understand the way it works we we'll understand the way it ought to be. And that's the way God is, of course. He wants us to understand. You know, as a kid, I had a I can remember I had this little toy. It was a model of an engine. Now, I didn't really understand how engines work. But this little model of an engine, it was clear and see through. It had cylinders, it had spark plugs, it had all the pieces. And you plugged in the battery and you could watch it turn and watch the valves open up and close and the way all of it worked. And you could understand watching it how it worked because you could see the model. And when I got older and started working on things that had motors, I understood how they worked, had a basic understanding of how they worked because I could see the model. I could look at it. I knew the concept. And isn't God wonderful that He gives us a model we can look at? And if we got the model right, we'll understand what we're looking at. If we've got that model of right relationships, then we'll understand the love between Christ and the church. You know, that ought to motivate Christians to make sure their marriages are right off. Because that's a model of Christ in the church. That ought to motivate Christians who are unmarried to look for people who are good examples of that love. So they can understand the love of Christ in the church. Because God put that model there so everybody can see it. If we aren't married, we know people that are married, and we see that model that he set up for us. And you know, we've got to make sure Christians that that model is upheld, don't we? We need to stand for the right model. And that's what we see here in Song of Solomon, that we've got that model. We know what the love between Christ and the church ought to look like. We can follow that model. For the lost person they see how much Christ loves them and how they ought to love Christ. And He's willing to take them in. Isn't that wonderful? For the believer, He loves us that much. And we ought to love Him. Just like the Shulamite was absolutely head over heels for Solomon. And that's what we see here, it's what we see over in Ephesians we should love Christ because he loves us.